0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one fall match with a 60 minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now What I'd like to have right now What I'd like to have right now
1: What I'd like to have right now What I'd like to have right now Get like right like right the music This This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at Place to Be Nation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world.
2: So, hello, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad, as ever. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good, Parv. How's it going tonight? Yeah, it's going all right. You know, I, I haven't had the best day, as uh, as you've been hearing. Um yeah. But uh, one of the things that did happen today that I did want to tell you about was that um, a student come, came to see me. In fact, a student came to see me in the middle of when I was trying to watch Clash 21, <laughs> um, uh, causing me a bit of an interruption. But, uh, you know, she came to see me about an essay that she had to do. And then as she was leaving, kind of awkward, she turned. She said, oh, there's something else, unrelated, just kind of by the by. Um, somebody's, uh told me that you're a wrestling fan and that you have a wrestling podcast. I was like, uh, okay. She was like, oh, yeah, I'm a wrestling fan too, you know. And, and uh, it was just a very weird moment. Um, and uh, I said, you know, well, I, I mainly watch older stuff. Um, and she said, oh, well, who's your favorite wrestler? And I said, well, I'd probably say it was the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and she was like, oh, that's too old for me. I started watching when I was six, and bearing in mind she's 18 or 19, and she said, uh, the oldest wrestler I can name is probably Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I said, well, well, he's a contemporary of Ted DiBiase. So, yeah, that was a strange conversation to be having in that context, uh, especially when I'd very hurriedly turn clash 21 off <laughs> before she came into the room so there uh, we go she's
0: probably she's probably gone to progress or uh, revolution pro
2: well it was one of my colleagues who told her that in a class last week i was like what possible context got you onto you know me doing a wrestling podcast um she wouldn't tell me but so then later on that colleague was down the corridor with another colleague I right. said, oh, i got a bone to pick with you. Why are you telling students that I've got a wrestling <laughs> podcast? And the other colleague was like, what? You've got a wrestling podcast? And um, first of all, she was like, she thought that I just had a podcast on my iPod, like, you know, that a wrestler had done or something. And I was like, no, I, re- I actually present a wrestling uh, podcast. And she was like, well, why are you so embarrassed about it? Why do you keep it so, you know, you should wear it with pride? I was like, yeah, I'd rather not, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've got two colleagues now who are of the opinion that I should be more out and proud about my wrestling podcast. What do you think, Chad? <laughs> I uh,
0: I did, uh, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter a couple of days ago, but I did enjoy uh, Charles mentioned that in this day and age, it's kind of weird that he's more open to telling people that he's gay than a wrestling fan. Mm.
2: So that's well, kind of, you know, I guess, where we're at. Interesting. Well, I, I mean, I would, because one of the things, I was like, well, I don't put my full name on these podcasts. I'm right. Like, because I don't want, you know, students kind of looking up, doing some Shakespeare research. He doesn't want, you know, 100 WCW reviews coming up.
0: Yeah. You uh, versus JDW arguing are or, on support. Or whatever it is,
2: you know. It's <laughs> like, come on. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Any anything you want to add before we get into the Meltzers? No, nothing really going on.
0: So, I guess we can just jump right into the Meltzers as we're going to try to make this one around two hours. Let's
2: do it, part. Yeah, well, people say they want shorter podcasts. Let's see what we can do.
1: All right. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra, Wrestling Observer Extra. with Dave Meltzer.
2: So, uh, October the 26th, 1992. Uh, not a big gap between uh havoc uh 92 and this clash uh, it has to be said so this sh- this shouldn't be very long melters Chad All right um so uh just looking at uh some of the news here um is that uh well we talked with uh and thank you by the way to uh brain follower uh for his input last week what was his real name again robert yeah thank you robert i thought he was a lot of fun actually yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I mentioned on that show, the final thumbs down rating for Havoc was 84.2. So there we go. WCW President Bill Shaw called a meeting on October the 29th, mainly to discuss the decline in ratings. As has been pointed out numerous times, pro wrestling's value, primarily value to uh, Superstation TBS, since the beginning of time, it has been a program that can be produced cheaply and deliver strong ratings. For years, the show has the highest rated program on the cable television and in recent years was among the higher rated shows on that station. That is no longer the case and the ratings have fallen to the point where TBS can take a popular old time 1960s comedy rerun or a strong movie from its shelf with no cost at all and deliver a larger audience than pro wrestling. With October ratings the lowest ever for both promotions, these November sweeps are the most important ever since that will determine advertising rates for the next several months. Expect both groups to load up on angles and match quality because if the ratings continue at this pace it will lead to yet another source of revenue being substantially down directly and virtually all sources being hit indirectly. Apparently there were also complaints about the quality of the Havoc pay-per-view show particularly the snake-biting Jake Roberts' face, which caused a lot of complaints from viewers and cable operators about excessive violence. Well, how about complaints for poor acting and terrible, you know, terrible selling and so on? <laughs> those would be my complaints. Um, it was readily acknowledged uh, by those within the promotion that the show quality of Havoc was a major disappointment.
0: Yeah.
2: On Monday at the WCW offices in CNN Center, a thought for the week was posted at the security's desk failure is an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. The promotion itself had already decided the Sting Roberts finish didn't come off well since Watts taped an interview banning the reptile most likely before the meeting even took place, which means Jake won't be using the snake anymore, even as a prop on interviews. Whether this is the case or not, I don't know, because there was been a lot of finger-pointing due to the poor quality of the second half of the Havoc show. But supposedly the finish was Roberts' idea, because he felt that by having the snake let onto his face, and the idea wasn't for the snake to bite him, that was a miscalculation of Roberts, of what the snake would do, <laughs> um, it would be so shocking to the audience that the audience wouldn't remember that he had just done a clean job. So that was Jake's thinking there, that the snake bite would detract from the clean job that he just done. While there is some truth to that assumption of what people would remember, those in the decision-making position have to take the blame for allowing Roberts to work out his finish because it altered the desired result which is that nobody remembered that Sting won and he got no benefit from winning at a time when he needed to have a strong win since he's done jobs on two previous shows. In addition, there were complaints about the second interview that Tony Atlas did on the October the 24th Saturday Night Show where he made racial remarks about Ron Simmons. There were apparently many uh, viewer complaints, which is to be expected, as there were always complaints when the heel calls a black baby-faced boy, which happens once with just about every administrator. That's probably why the Atlas interview was replayed this past weekend uh, with most of the interview bleeped out. So, have you you seen that Atlas interview?
0: No, I don't believe I have. Um... Well, interesting. i mean this
2: this whole period as we as we're going to get on to, I have no memory of clash twenty one or Everest i don't think I've ever seen it um
0: yeah well I, I guess I can just mention this now is i it wasn't one that I remembered um but when I started firing up the tape as as I've said, kind of my entry into w c w was a gradual thing until nineteen ninety four when I pretty much predominantly watched WCW, but I watched kind of bits and pieces up to then. I was still mainly WWF as I was a little kid. But once I started up this tape, it's all the Pauly and Medusa rundown and everything else. I realized this was something that I had taped on an old VHS. And, you know, at that point in time, I didn't have that many uh, VHS tapes. That I actually had to watch, so I watched this Clash actually a good bit as a kid, but didn't remember it as uh, as it being Clash Twenty One. Yeah, I,
2: I want to say that this was actually one of the harder ones to get hold of because I had all of the other Clashes uh, in some shape or form before before my hard drive crapped out, of course. Um, and this wasn't one of them. Like I I have seen all of the other Clashes, but I don't think I've ever watched this one. And this is why I had no memory, for example, of Tony Atlas being around or of this poorly or Medusa angle. Right. um, Maybe as a kid also I, I don't know, missed November of 92 because I have really, this is a really weird period in my mind uh, as we'll get on to. You know, where you've got like the the death throes of the Dangerous Alliance hanging around and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to the Meltzers, it's almost being considered a given now that the Steiners will start with the WWF in early 1993. As mentioned a few times on television this past week, um, on August the 27th in Augusta, during a squash match, Big Van Vader broke the back of Joe Thurman, who was either in his first or second match, because he didn't know how to take a powerbomb. Actually Thurman was initially paralysed from the move. It was kind of macabre that they continued to hype that you could see the match on the main adventure this coming weekend. Watts gave the guys a speech before television on November the 2nd and told them it was a work and not to be so brutal that they injure jobbers. So there we go. Uh, as, very, as great as Vader is, he probably shouldn't be paralyzing people with power bombs.
0: Right. Yeah, have you seen that footage? No, have you seen them? it's Yeah, it's pretty graphic. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the, um, like, when Buff Bagwell, you know, was paralyzed for a minute when he uh, was facing Rick Steiner on that episode of Thunder. Yeah. Kind, kind of a similar situation, but... It was pretty uh, sensationalized, I would say, with the way they presented it on commentary. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's good that you're presenting Vader as a monster. But, I mean, this guy was legitimately almost seriously paralyzed for life. So,
2: you could back off a little bit. At the same taping, WCW champ Ron Simmons and IWGP champ Massachono tagged up to beat Rick Rude and the Barbarian when Simmons pinned Barbarian. Uh, Sid Vicious contacted all Japan this past week. The, the sides have been talking, uh, and told them they needed to make their move because he had been meeting up. Upco- he has a meeting upcoming with Bill Watts. Sid may have been working all Japan, however, since nobody seems to know if he met with Bill uh, Watts or not. Since Watts is under the gun to improve ratings in November, and, she, and Sid would be a short-term benefit, and his track record indicates a long-term liability, the promotion may be desperate enough to give him a shot. Did, uh, um, old, uh, Sid work for Japan? Uh, they
0: actually just talked about this on, um, Between the Sheets a few weeks ago. He was supposed to, but he never came in. Um... I can't remember the specifics, but they were doing a lot of kind of fantasy booking of Sid versus, like, Coatum and (laughs) And the like. Uh, I don't know who he ended up being replaced with, but, yeah, they were thinking he was going to be the replacement and team with somebody like Hanson.
2: Seems like it would be Danny Spivey to me.
0: Yeah, well, no, but Spivey was already in. Um, Johnny Ace, maybe? Maybe Johnny Ace. That's possible. The,
2: the only thing known at this point about the 11-18 clash from Macon, Georgia, is that a tag title match with Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham versus Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, Sting vs. Rick Rude in the King of Cable tournament, and Paul Lee in an exhibition with one high tie behind his back against Medusa. Um, the Michael Sherry and Medusa Paul angle will start at two days apart. And the way it looks right now, one will be blown over before the other one even gets started. Um, on the 900 line this weekend, Jim, note, uh, Jim Ross noted that Jim Cornette was in Atlanta this week. Cornette threw a fit about Ross reporting that on Mike Tine's, uh radio show this, that same night, although Cornette and Watts have met. So, Cornette's in talk with Watts? That doesn't happen, does it? He doesn't come back, does he?
0: Um... Mm, uh... He will briefly in 1993. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ross also acknowledged... Very briefly, because I think the week he comes back is actually the week Watts gets canned. So, oh, and they,
2: right.
0: they were the connection.
2: Ross also acknowledged that his work on Havoc wasn't up to his capabilities, and he has said that things on the show... that he, he, And basically, Ross has said that he said things on the show that he now wishes he could retract. Uh, and I'd agree with that. That yes, Jim Ross could have been better on Halloween Havoc '92. Would you agree, yeah. Chad?
0: Yeah, certainly.
2: So even Jim Ross agrees that he was in the wrong and Jesse was in the right. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've, I've, I've uh, <laughs> you know I've gotten quite a, a few PMs from people that are siding with me and uh, talk about your uh, unabashed love affair of Jesse and the double standard you hold. PMS. Yes, there's but, a there's a, a secret society in against your bias of uh, Jesse.
2: I'll believe them when I see them. All right. <laughs> Even when, if you're one of those people who PM Chad, PM me please and tell me, uh, you know that you think, because clearly Jesse is the best color man ever, and it's Jim Ross's fault that you can't work with him.
1: That uh,
0: some 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 of these uh, PMS were. Uh, Let's just say there's some uh, titans among the uh, pro wrestling-only message board.
2: Okay. Yeah. Even with kids' tickets priced at 66 cents uh, for the October 31st in Chicago, the card only drew slightly more than 2,000 fans. Actually, that's a monster house. Since shows in uh, Jasonville, Danville, Knoxville, and Milwaukee all drew in the 400 to 600 range. Ron Simmons vs. the Barbarian headline of the houses, which partially explains those figures. I just can't figure out uh, whomever came up with the idea for a Simmons Barbarian programme couldn't be smart enough to realise its lack of firepower on top. Every, and I mean every fan I spoke to, realised it going in. I also hope this drove home the point that the problem isn't the price of the tickets, but that there is little interest in the current product and they quit cheapening the product even more by offering those gimmick prices which only encourage people not to attend the next shows at regular prices. Would you agree with that, Chad? I mean, Simmons Barbarian's not going to draw, basically.
0: No. Yeah, that was a... a kind of a lost cause, no matter what. I think we discussed that last show that Barbarian is seen as a gatekeeper upper-mid card person at best, so... To ask for them to do a pretty prolonged world title feud together and to, I guess, draw houses was uh, not going to happen.
2: Forget the notion that Watts isn't going to protect the Japanese deal. Kenzuki Sensaki was protected all week. He even went to, an all, to a time limit draw in a US title match with Rick Rude. Another draw with Steve Austin. Teamed with Marcus Bagwell to beat Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton in his lone loss a tag match with Nikolai Volko- um with Nikita Koloff against Rude and Big Van Vader it was Koloff who did the job for Vader's power slam which has to be considered something of a surprise um, expect- so you said Kazuki Sasaki got quite the push here um have you seen any of those matches <laughs> yeah
0: um not bad. Uh, Sasaki we will get to it when we get to his match here on the show, but I, he's in it. I, I, I think the hype with him is down a little bit overall, but he's never been someone I've been really high up to begin with.
2: So um, Expect a major turnover in event promoters come January feelers have been sent out to Johnny Ace to work here between Japan tours so there's your Johnny Ace he's he's already working for all Japan Um, Chris Benoit's debut has been pushed back because his immigration paperwork hasn't been completed some talk of a debut now in late November and then um, at the 11-2 centre stage taping for the 11-7 TBS show this short Jake Roberts and Jim Ross do the announcing with the heat over the poor TBS shows the previous week and the pay-per-view, you'd know going into this show is going to be a big improvement. Scott, Scotty Flamingo came out during the Johnny B. Badd interview. Bad put the lips on Scotty's cheek, and Scotty responds by KOing him with a roll of coins. And we, saw, we actually saw this on this footage, right. didn't we? Sounds like they're building up to a tape fist match. Um, Rude and Medusa, uh, as a heel for this interview, talked about Eric Watts. Um, Steve Williams won a squash and he's sticking around uh, at least when he doesn't have to uh, work all Japan commitments so Dr. Death is still around um, Brian Pillman and Dangerously did an interview trying to convince Tom Zenk to turn heel and team with Pillman against um, again so Pillman and Dangerously were trying to turn Tom Zenk heel why? Uh, Zenk then called the two losers and walked off uh, what's Watts Eric Watts that is pinned Michael Hayes with a fisherman suplex God can you imagine what that fisherman suplex looked like Uh, (laughs) Paul Paul Lee went on about Medusa when Bill Watts came out and the two argued and Watts sanctioned the match for the clash Steamboat and Douglas beat Salinger and Pierce Tex-Legender and Shanghai Pierce in a surprisingly good match Uh, and then in the King of the Cable Rude pinned Wyndham when both were in the ropes in a decent match uh, while Pin Sting Pill Pillman in what was said to have been the best TBS match in month. You, you've ever seen any of those? We'll probably watch them in the special.
0: Yeah, we'll probably at least catch a couple of those. I mean, if I have seen them, it's been years and years, so no fond memories that I can recollect offhand. Uh,
2: a, a a taped bout for the main event uh, with Bagwell and Suzaki against Anderson and Eaton saw Eric Watts KO Hayes at ringside then toss Bobby off the top rope during a ref bump when he was about to jump on a prone Suzuki who then Suzuki pinned Eaton god um sp- <laughs> speaking of Eric Watts that video on Saturday was nightmarish I haven't seen whatever video they're talking about but it sounds terrible um and then uh what else happened uh There's a show on centre stage coming up with Tony Atlas already being phased down to doing jobs at house shows, thankfully, says Meltzer, versus Vader, and Jake Roberts versus Dustin Rhodes scheduled. Um, Saturday night did a 1.9, which was actually the most boring show in a long time, uh, and 1.6 the next night, while Power Hour has been the lone impressive ratings getter in recent weeks and hit a 1.8. So, you know, power hours drawing about the same rating as Saturday night at this point.
0: No, interesting. Uh,
2: usually ratings increase the weekend of and weekends after pay-per-views, but those rules of thumb are having to be thrown out the window of late. Um, and WCW linked a deal to start running monthly shows starting September of '93 at the Old Charlotte Coliseum, which will be renamed the Independence Arena. The deal was so far ahead of time, probably because Jim Cross Crockett is expected to open up promotion in November and some think Charlotte would be his home base. So they're worried about Jim Crockett coming back. Um, Interesting. So over to November the 16th and Jake Roberts has checked himself into the Betty Ford Rehab Center this past Tuesday and his future with World Championship Wrestling appears bleak. The 37-year-old Roberts, real name Aurelian Smith Jr., the son of Jake Grizzly Smith, one of WCW's road agents, had been pushed as the promotion's top heel since arriving on the 2nd of August. Roberts missed all subsequent matches after doing colour commentary on the TBS show that was taped uh, on 11-2 and aired 11-7. It is believed Roberts' actions came because of non-wrestling-related personal pressures. Apparently WCW is going to take the mistakes as a contract violation because Watts has said that Roberts has been fired And that he would be making an announcement at the television tapings on Wednesday night at center stage. um, Set for Saturday air date of that fact. Uh, The WCW wrestlers were under the impression that after Roberts checked himself. um, That he wouldn't be returned to the company at any time soon. Signs were posted at the arena saying that because of circumstances beyond the control of WCW. That Jake Roberts wouldn't be appearing on any of the shows. An announcement was made at the beginning of the house shows. Um... The Sunday WCW main event voiceovers were taped after Roberts had checked himself in and there was no mention of Roberts doing that show. Uh, word was not to mention his name from that point forward, which seems to indicate his chances of being brought back aren't particularly high. Roberts is scheduled to remain in rehab through 11.23, at which point it is uncertain what direction his wrestling career will take. Uh, Roberts has been through rehab at least once, um, while in the WWF and as he's been suspended for failing drug tests during his WF tenure on at least two occasions. Has Jake talked about this to your knowledge? I'm sure he has. Yeah, I don't necessarily know uh,
0: all the uh, specifics, but I mean, next time we see him we'll be in uh, AAA.
2: In AAA, did you say?
0: Yeah, he goes to AAA, has a pretty short run
2: there again, so. When does he, I mean, does he work in these between now and 96 when he's working? Yeah,
0: well, well, I'm sure I uh, can look at cage match real quick while you're uh, talking and sure. see.
2: There has been a lot of controversy regarding the calling of a match, uh, the Ghetto Odds match. Now, this is the three-on-two tag match, uh, Chad. The main complaint is that is it uh, may have been a viable gimmick in New Orleans 10 years ago. But WCW is a national company, and it isn't 10 years ago. Playing on race seems to be a constant theme with this company when it gets desperate, which unfortunately seems to happen with much regularity. Even more unfortunate is it it seems to be the only way the company knows how to run angles with Ron Simmons, and he's the champion. It's actually gotten quite humorous to see the same déjà vu patterns with this company. In 1990, Ole Anderson came in as a booker, And the first thing that he did was bring in Junkyard Dog as the top babyface to feud with Ric Flair and build the whole company around a racial angle, which didn't draw. In 1991, Dusty Rhodes tried the same thing. to try to build up Simmons as a title contender against Lex Luger, managed by Harley Race. They ran an angle where the racial remark led to Simmons blowing up and had a few connotations during the clash, which largely wasn't well received. After the fact, everyone in the company started apologising for how it came out. Um... So, what do you think of the ghetto odds match as a booking idea?
0: Yeah, it's just stupid. It's not going to work. I mean, I think the history here has shown that. Um, real quick, I did see Jake. He was doing a bevy of indie stuff. I forgot that he also did um, Smoky Mount Wrestling. He was in there for a short time in 1994. But um, and this, I don't know if I'd forgotten about it or just. Uh, Never knew about it, but in 1993, in September, he does a tour of New Japan.
2: Jake, um, he, Jake, Jake does a tour of New Japan.
0: Yes, faces Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Kojima. Her- Listen to this tag match part. Hercules and Scott Norton versus Brutus Beefcake and Jake Roberts.
2: Oh, God. Can you imagine that? Well, Scott Nor- Scott Norton is your hope there
0: yeah that's your uh, work rate fiend of the match bloody pretty hell pretty bad but yeah so he was he was doing all sorts of stuff in Australia I'm seeing some European stuff uh, of course him versus Craig Valentine a popular uh, match in the independent scene so
2: so getting back to this a odds thing Chad and uh, I hate to say this but am I not the only one thinking has anyone else forgotten that Tony Atlas is black? Like, how is Tony Atlas saying racist remarks when he he is black and ran this exact angle about ten years ago, where somebody else was calling him boy? I mean, I, I watched it play out in nineteen eighty two or whatever it was. Right. I don't, I don't understand the deal of Atlas being the one to say the remarks. How does that work? Makes no sense to me. What's that meant to mean? I
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'd have to see the context of
2: the TV, but... Yeah, I I don't really... It it doesn't...
0: I mean, even beyond the oddness of the storyline, like, bringing in Atlas at 1992, it's, you know, I mean, it's like, did you not see Saba Simba? I mean, that was a terrible uh, gimmick, of course. But beyond that, it was, I mean, Atlas could barely move. So I don't know why uh, Watts or whoever decided he had to come in here.
2: It's a weird, it's a weird one. Um, okay, but I mean, I guess, like, Tony Atlas historically was a draw in Georgia. but
0: I guess, uh... but if you're trying to trim, I mean, they were trying to trim down the, uh, I mean, bring in Tommy Rich. I mean, I'd bring him back before Atlas.
2: Well, how about this, Chad? He was cheap. I bet they. Were, I bet you they were paying Atlas a fraction of what they were paying Jake, for example. Right. Yeah. I guess. Um. Anyway, Ron Simmons is out of action. Um. Probably through the end of the week. Although he'll wrestle at the Clash. He was injured last week in Chicago. Uh, he made appearances doing an interview. Um, either doing an interview or being in Stin's corner at all house shows. With Jake Roberts gone, Simmons unable to work, the advertised top matches were going to have to be rearranged everywhere, which never leaves fans. That was basically their main event, and it's gone. <laughs> um, Jim Hurd made a presentation on 10:30 to Bill Shaw and Bob Dew about the possibility of Hurd and Jerry Jarrett working together to use the younger talent that needs seasoning on USWA house shows. I, I thought Jim was I thought Jim Hurd was history, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think nothing ever came of fruition to that. I don't recall. It's just
2: interesting that he was still hanging around the wrestling Hanging out.
0: Yeah, I guess that's kind of the thing with all... I mean, you know, because we know wrestling history, but there's a lot of guys like that in time that we don't quite know what happens to them when they leave. Like Kip Frey, I have no idea what he did after this run in WCW. Um,
2: It's interesting, Jim Crockett's still, like... In the background,
0: yeah, like actually. still hanging out and doing semi political moves, you know, to try to gain power. And and Watts was that way too. I mean, Watts, you know, essentially. Uh, I mean, Watts essentially lived his life on these periodic stints in wrestling. I mean, I don't I don't think he did anything business wise between now and when he came back to help Vince in '96 or whatever
2: kind of weird isn't it yeah Um,
0: just just take three years off and then have another short run um yeah i mean you know we think about that like the lineage through wrestling but once they leave or come back like yeah this here jim heard pop up here it's something that i didn't recall but i mean you got to think these these guys are in their mid 40s or 50s i mean they're they're probably not retiring they're businessmen so i don't know what the next thing they did was
2: yeah. Um, well look at Jason Hervey, he still sniffs around. Yeah, well scene.
0: he's he's still hanging on, but <laughs> yeah, even like the Bob Dews and Jim Patrick or uh,
2: yeah.
0: Jim Petrick or whatever his name is. <laughs> Jack Petrick, I think.
2: Yeah. WCW has set a European tour set uh, date for March the eleventh to the seventeenth. Now who do they expect to see to do, who did WCW expect is going to turn up for them in Europe in 1993? I don't really understand. Like, I mean, they were they were showing WCW here, but as as I've told you before, it was in the middle of the night. So yeah, but I I think
0: those tours actually were really successful.
2: I I think it was just that like what I've told you before that wrestling just was that, re- yeah. reasonably hot still, and right. it was just that it was wrestling, you know. Yeah, could be. Um, They'll be having Thunderdome cage matches on the 11.25 show in Baltimore and Thanksgiving night at the Omni, with Cactus Jack and Big Van Vader and Rick Rude and a mystery partner, Um, originally Jake Roberts, taking on Ron Simmons, Sting, Nikita Koloff and Van Hammer. Speaking of which, Hammer will be getting a big push once again. Brilliant. Can't wait for the Van Hammer push.
0: And... Here, Here's just a quick anecdote we'll probably get to it when we get to 93, but yeah, the London show at the Wembley Arena,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, Graham Cawthorn Sights at 11,500, and up to that point, that was the largest WCW gate in history.
2: Who the hell is drawing that show?
0: Like, since they... Uh, went to wcw match was on top was, or I, uh, was
2: Davey boy on that card yeah
0: davy boy versus rude and Sting versus vader are your top two so that's pretty I can,
2: strong i can see that again yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: dustin versus windham so it's, it's we, a strong it, card
2: you gotta remember it's only it's less than a year removed from SummerSlam, and wrestling was hot right and and i reckon like people would remember rude from his wf days and like, even what I'm saying is, I can imagine people who weren't WCW fans tuning up to that show. Right. Um, several New Japan wrestlers are said to be coming in for Starcade. Probably the Great Muta, Masatono, Hiroshi Hase, and Kenzuki Sasaki. They always send Hase. Um, <laughs> they do, don't they? Every time.
0: Yeah, well, this seems to be, like, under their greatest hits of the guys they send too, with Sasaki, uh i say, who, who'd you say, Muda, and who else? Chono. Oh, yeah, well, Chono. All you need is kind of Fujinami to round that out.
2: Joey Maggs tore his knee up and will be out for four to six weeks when Brian Pillman clipped him too high during a taping at Anderson. Yeah. Uh, the injuries to Joe Thurman from that Vader power bomb aren't nearly as serious as first thought. So there we go, he wasn't paralyzed. No. Um, the guy in the Kendo outfit sparring with Medusa on the video that aired on Sunday. Do you know who that was, Chan?
0: No, I was interested if he had this when I saw it on the show.
2: I will give you one guess. I have no idea. Use your knowledge of the Monday Night Wars.
0: Oh, Sonny, oh no.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> oh. It was Uncle Eric Bischoff himself.
0: Oh, boy.
2: Because do you a- remember his martial arts skills?
0: <laughs> yes. Wasn't
2: okay, he like a yeah. black belt or something? Yeah third-degree black belt, I think. Yep. So, and uh, Meltzer says, bet you didn't have any idea the guy was that good with his hands and feet. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, despite rumours that you may have heard, officially there is no change in the status of Arn Anderson and Bob Eaton. They surely won't be offered an extension on their current contract, and as far as I know, they haven't been offered new deals. The current deal has expired after the Tokyo Dome card. Um... Uh, TV on Saturday was pretty good considering the circumstances which included a fairly dead crowd doing many of the matches and two and a half hours being awfully long the Robbie Walker match should have never made television Eric Watts is actually getting good uh, considering how few matches he's had but his his push gets more unbearable by the week Um, and we'll talk more about Eric Watts in a little bit that was that one and November the twenty third now. Paul Orndorff debuted as a heel managed by Medusa on the eleven sixteen TV tapings and beat Ron Simmons via count out in his first night uh in a non title match. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, it seems like they're setting him up, right? Um which they would. I mean they would feud in ninety three. Um I Orndorf is kind of weird because he's somebody that, like, you know, I didn't, I don't know, like, I never think of him as, like, an upper echelon player, but when he came in, like, in 1990, I wasn't bothered with that at all, and when he comes in here, as we'll see, I think he has a pretty effective run with Pretty Wonderful and the uh, Paula and then eventually his the stuff with the Mirror and everything else.
2: Yeah. And what do you think of the booking of having him beat Ron Simmons' way counter? I see it's you know it's fairly standard stuff.
0: I yeah, I mean I don't I don't think that's outrageous for somebody that you uh, have plans. I, I mean I I would guess I wonder if by this time they knew the Simmons stuff wasn't working out. Um, which which I mean again like yeah it, you can say like it's sort of unfair because he's in a program mainly with the Barbarian and injured Cactus Jack so. He in some ways didn't have a chance to succeed, but as we've talked about throughout, like the feud with Luger and stuff like that, he just doesn't seem like a world champion material. Oh, I I think
2: they're just doing everything they can to devalue the belt at this point. Like, right. Having the king of cable tournament. Well, like why is everybody concerned with that? They should be trying to win the world title. That's Titan. true too.
0: They were doing a lot of distractions uh, to get. I mean, you know, spin the wheel, make the deal was the biggest thing. Going into Halloween Havoc and either the Lethal Lottery or the King of Cable Finals is the biggest thing going into Starcade, So Yeah,
2: it's like whatever Sting's going for is the most important thing. Right. So. Anyway. Yeah, um, it, seems,
0: it seems like by this point they knew that uh, his days were numbered as champion.
2: So. Dead, 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 dead duck champ type thing. Right. Lame duck is what you call it. Yeah. In addition, Charles Sags, who worked as Flying Scorpio in Japan, is expected to debut at the Clash as Simmons' partner in the Ghetto Street Fight, since Robbie Walker, Simmons' original partner, was fired earlier in the week. Now, Robbie Walker, Charlie, have you ever seen any of him?
0: No, and I, I was. They mentioned that at the show. I, I mean, I guess he was around TV at this time, but like I said, I don't remember. A lot of that, or remember him. Um, but yeah, kind of, kind of one of those interesting moments. I mean, a good break for Scorpio, you know. But he was. Mm.
2: Well, we talked more about Scorpio's debut uh, on the right. on the show. I thought it was quite interesting to watch. Sure. Um, even though Sags, uh, Skags has quite a lot of potential and has a finishing move off the top rope that is equal to anything in the business, it, it appears his prime qualification for being chosen as a replacement in the Ghetto Street Fight isn't that he has a lot of potential or a hot finishing move and he doesn't complete that sentence but I think he's implying it's because he's black maybe Orndorff came in uh, for the show uh, airing on a Saturday and Jim Ross brought up his the problems he's been having with Ron Garvin uh, which tells you some kind of agreement has been worked out with Smoky Mountain if Ross is going to acknowledge another promotion's feud interesting that Ron Garvin was mentioned yeah Uh, Orndorff also channed Simmons for the match that airs on 11-28. Also in there were the Terminators, who is Mark, Laurinaitis, and Al Green from Florida, but they lost to Brad Armstrong and Marcus Bagwell. Later, Sting and Van Hammer teamed against Cactus Jack and Rick Rude, ending with Barbarian. So that's all of that. Um, I don't think there's much else here apart from... Uh, no word on Anderson and Eaton's future. Uh, both men's contracts expire in early January. Now, presumably you'd make this a top priority if you were Bill Watts, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, you would think so.
2: The promotion definitely wants to keep Anderson in some capacity, which may include a booking committee position, but it is doubtful they will renew his two, $280,000 salary. Eaton's future is less secure. So, there we go.
0: Yeah, this will, this will continue to be a running um, issue as well.
2: Chris Benoit won't be coming in, at least not anytime soon. He didn't sign the contract offered, it appears, since the company needs a heel tag team. The Benoit not coming will force the company to put Pillman and Steve Austin together as a regular tag team after all. They've worked together at several TVs and many house shows. And, of course, that does happen. Um, and Benoit does come in doesn't he eventually
0: yeah yeah pretty early I think the clash uh, by January clash he's in
2: yep um poorly dangerously and Medusa were both fined $500 as a shoot for their language on pay-per-view words like bitch hooker and bastard in specific so fines $500 though I mean that's not going to do much to either of those two guys is it no um Eric Watts did his first job, which will air in a few weeks on Worldwide for Rick Rude, clean, after kicking out of several winning (laughs) manoeuvres. Earlier in the taping, the Mongol warrior, that is Giant Camilla 2 from All Japan, was brought in as a bounty hunter by Dangerously and Michael Hayes, but Watts beat him with the STF. So there we go. Um, Dangerously did a workout with Mike Thor, which sounds better than it came off ending in a great face-off with Medusa who chased him out of the building and Jesse Ventura is contemplating running for the US Senate in 1994. So there we go. Um, not a lot else in on the news front. A couple of you know TV numbers and so on and now we've got all the way to the clash of the champions uh, and the thumbs up and the thumbs down ratings um, do you want to know them
0: yeah let's just throw those out as we set the table for the show because i'm kind of interested
2: yeah uh well basically thumbs up 21.8 percent thumbs down 72.6 percent yeah
0: so uh we uh we will see if we fall in line with that i also looked at Meltzer's star ratings for this show and uh we'll see if we fall in line
2: with those (laughs) okay oh it'll be interesting well, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to review the show.
1: Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Nation.com. The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Placement Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and Placement You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the place to be podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with main event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor super shows. And relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the in the form of exercises and games we got sports covered too with the sports evolution mega show with scott Dr. G, Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, the Kings of Sport, led by Live Audio Wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, and if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlacepedNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott keats blog of doom be sure to follow us on facebook twitter instagram and tumblr as well place the only place to be in your pop culture world
2: this is parv and i'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network that's the pwo ptbn podcast network where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zelmer's One-Two Punch of Exile on Bad Street and, with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the Reaction Shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We've got This Week in Wrestling with my man Peace and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show, Tag Team's Back Again with Kelly and Marty Slees, and a ton of other great shows too. And, of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Well, uh, welcome back, everyone. And uh, now we're going to get into the Clash of the Champions uh, 21. And Chad, um speaking of my bad day, um I watched the first half of the show in work as I as I told you, and I went old school. I did my notes on pen and paper, and then I left the paper on my office desk. So I have no notes.
0: <laughs> Maybe this will uh bring you up to the twenty first century here. This yeah. this is a lesson learned.
2: I mean, I should have done it, like, and emailed them to myself. Yeah,
0: uh, I I constantly email myself my notes when (laughs) I'm watching these shows.
2: (laughs) So anyway, um, this is November the 18th in Macon, uh, your neck of the woods, Strad. How far away is Macon from you?
0: Mm, From where I live now, it's about an hour and a half. uh, Pretty pretty close to where uh, our friend Chris Zellner lives. It's probably about 45 minutes.
2: Obviously, our host of JR and Jesse Ventura. And uh, I do remember that Jesse was just... He's pretty toned down for Jesse, just wearing an orange, like a bandana or an orange Yeah, shirt.
0: this... Um, I, I actually thought with G, uh, Ross and Jesse for this show, there wasn't near the amount of animosity or quips or, I guess, memorable moments, because, uh, I mean, regardless of what you... Whether you want to defend what Jesse says or not, um, I mean, him saying like you know Shane Douglas being a conservative right wing <laughs> conservative, I mean that's memorable. Um, and I, I didn't get many one liners from either on this show. Uh, I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I guess the closest actually would come from uh, Ross in a couple of instances that I'll point out.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't note down too many one liners from either, from Jesse either. Um, I actually wonder if, you know, Ross had admitted that he had a bad night on Halloween Havoc. Right. I actually wonder if they'd had a little debrief and agreed that, you know, that wasn't the best show for either of them and they might just tone it down or, I don't know, because Jesse didn't seem like himself.
0: Yeah, yet. I guess I guess we'll have to see uh, the next couple of shows where they do that, if it'll play out.
2: Yeah. So anyway, we we go into uh, a montage now of the Paulie and Medusa stuff, right?
0: Right. Oh, oh, one thing just in the introduction. Did you you see the huge like bring back flare?
2: (laughs) No, (laughs) I didn't see that. Yeah, right,
0: right behind them, right when they first cut to uh, Jr. and uh, Jesse giving the introduction. This guy holds up a big slide that says "Bring Back Rick Flair." (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, so basically. we go into this montage of Paulie and Medusa getting weighed in right and what did you make of all this stuff I mean Paulie is Paulie a <laughs> Paulie's 188 pounds and Medusa is a little bit lighter I guess
0: right uh, first off um, Hayes is Paulie's corner man <laughs> yeah which I, 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 I didn't quite understand that why or how that came about but okay uh, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll go through this, but I, I mean, I, I, Paul Lee, I just loved on the show. I thought he was just an absolute, uh, swarmy prick throughout the whole show. And this, this is good where, I mean, it's, it's simple, campy stuff, but you know, he claims to be one weight, he's. Not he's over that weight, which I don't think it matters. But anyway, so then he takes off his robe and basically tries to look as unathletic as he can by poking out his stomach and everything, and then gives the big pose. Uh, and this was when Jr. was like, "I don't think he's gonna be winning any Jesse the Body uh, awards anytime soon," and all this. So, um, so it 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 was pretty. It was I found it pretty humorous. Uh, and then, um, Paulie, what did he say uh when Medusa stepped on the scale? He said, baby's got back, and just make fun of her, so,
2: <laughs> a complete yeah. douche. Yeah, and he's such a weasel, and it's yeah. like a kind of, yeah, Paulie, Paulie was kind of on good form on this show. I, I
0: would say, like, I, again, this, like, jarred back memories of me watching this as a child, and... You know, you you forget that Paulie. I mean, he was being phased down after the Dangerous Alliance and felt kind of aimless. And I w- I would say like this is Paulie's like shining moment once the Dangerous Alliance ends to when he leaves the promotion. Like yeah. this is the peak we'll see of Paulie from that time frame. So
2: so anyway. Um we we go from uh this now and i just a little note on because uh, obviously paulie's gonna grab all the headlines here But what do you think of medusa's performance in this like in some of these skits here yeah uh,
0: the because the other one where she's the big one i think is after actually after pillman and armstorm but we can yeah yeah, yeah. but i i thought she was really good in that
2: um this is where paulie cuts that like ridiculous promo yeah just
0: an absolute scathing promo of her and she's in her dress and uh the dangerous alliance or whoever it's hayes and it was Eaton and anderson and i liked how they kind of gradually one by one walk off and desert him because he's like went over the line and he really does like run her down and then uh he realizes that nobody's got his back and they had a really fun chase and Medusa was wearing heels and like, just jumped the guardrail and was chasing Paulie out of center stage. And I thought Ross had a good line there too. Or like, they're going on peach tree and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, was, uh, I, I was, like she, was impressed.
2: Was she crying? Yeah, initially, because he'd, he'd gone so far that she's actually... Yeah, tears. she was
0: crying, and it seemed really genuine. I didn't think it was overacting. I mean, I don't think of Medusa traditionally as, like, this great actress, but I I thought it worked here well.
2: Well, anyway, we, we, we're going to go into our first match now, which is Brad Armstrong taking on Brian Pillman. And if you remember, Brad Armstrong was injured before... Right. Um, do, do you remember? Any... Yep. Yeah,
0: had the, uh, knee injury.
2: So now Pillman is injured, he's got the crutch. Uh, <laughs> why didn't you explain what happens here?
0: <laughs> so, really, really, this show, because we got the Paul count stuff, um, we're gonna get some count pretty soon with, uh... Scotty Flamingo and Johnny add Now we have this. This is, I mean, this really feels like an episode of TNT for the uh, yeah. Tuesday night. I mean, you you've got a lot of tactics being used, but I thought they were all varied and worked to one degree or another. So this is the old, you know, I'm injured and now I know what you uh, felt like and why you couldn't wrestle. And I'm sorry for calling you a coward for not wrestling me, blah, blah, blah. You know, that spill. And then when Armstrong comes back, of course, he's not injured at all. Um, and then, so, so he attacks Brad and they say they're going to DQ him. And I, I thought this was good with Pillman to say, well, no, you can't DQ me because the match hasn't started yet. Uh, so, so they do start the match, and I mean, it's a thirty-second match. It was really, I thought this was really well done for a segment, and it helped get Pillman over as a heel because the the match is nothing. Brad Armstrong gets a couple shots out on Pillman. Pillman's reeling. First opportunity, he as he chop blocks uh, Armstrong and pins him with the bad. He goes after the bad leg of Brad. So I I, I enjoyed this for what it was,
2: and I mean. One thing I'll say is that Pillman, in the space of a couple of months, has turned into a pretty good heel by this point already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was pretty shaky when he first turned, but.
0: This is about a month and some change after the turn, and right before him and Austin, I think they were kind of starting to form up here.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Austin was one of the... He's still hanging around Paulie at this point. No? Right,
0: not even on the show.
2: Not not on the show, but we see him hanging... Like, yeah, he's
0: he's still a, uh, yeah, uh, a, a I guess kind of, an associate of Paulie.
2: Yeah. I was going to talk about the, the Dangerous Lions, actually, because this is such a weird period, because uh, we're going into this match now where um, Arn Anderson, Bob Eaton are taking on Kenzie, uh, Kenzuki Sasaki and Eric Watts. In a bounty match, and um, this is such a weird period where Michael Hayes is managing Arn Anderson and Bobby, Eaton, yeah. sort of. They're sort of affiliated with Paulie and Austin, sort of. Although, is them walking off from that mis- promo just the end of the uh, the end of that association? Yeah, from, well, that too, and like what happened to Rude? I mean, well, Rude presumably is managed by Medusa still. I, I don't know, because he's a heel.
0: And Medusa's a face in that, yeah. Right, it's kind I mean, of, I, mean they kind of, it's, I don't think they did that. I, don't think, I think Rude was now on his own. I mean, you know, it's like the China Triple H thing, where tri- China on her own was a face, but with it, Triple H was a heel.
2: I did, I it, it kind of reminds me of that period in early 1990 when the J-Tex Corporation was still hanging around.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think they could have done something cool, with the grouping and kind of to signify Flair's return, if he could have united all these guys. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would have been neat if he'd have kind of, you know, get Pillman and get, uh, get Pillman and Austin and then get Arn back in the fold and say, you know, here we go. We're, you're, you've kind of been floundering once you lost and Paul e's on his way out. So let's reform a true group that, you know, had a great success in the Horseman. Yeah, instead of I'm, Paul Rome.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been or it would have been interesting maybe to have the tag team as Arn and Bobby Eaton, have Eaton as a Horseman finally, and have Austin as their kind of um, in the Tully role. Yeah,
0: yeah, U.S. champion or TV champion.
2: Yeah, yeah, and maybe tag Pillman with uh, Zenk or or have him do something else or like maybe turn him back baby face, and have him tag with two cold scorpio that would have been a cool team yeah
0: and that, that, that actually yeah that's not bad because i was thinking as you were saying that part i'm like yeah a lot of people are going to be pissed at you for want to you know hypothetically never have the blondes but uh, scorpio and pillman that would have been a great team
2: yeah all right well uh, let's get into this match then. Um, don't we get a promo from Michael Hayes before this? Where yeah, we... uh, he My, Michael Hayes is all
0: over the place right now because he because <laughs> he's he's co-hosting with Ross on what main event. Yeah, and yep. yeah, he's 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 kind of in a manager role, but he also sometimes wrestle. It's it's just a mess. So he gives a pretty generic
2: promo talking about watts he did use one line that i liked though because he said oh people are saying that you know people are using their hate for your father to get at you eric watts but i'll tell you even if your last name was hayes i'd still hate you yeah
0: that that. was that was a good line i remember that now um as far as a match i I mean i didn't think this was much (laughs) um really nothing to it. I I, I, I like this spot that uh, Bobby Eaton did in the early going where he puts his elbow up against Watts' cheek and then he kind of punches his own hand, which yeah. causes the momentum of the elbow to go into Watts' cheek. I, Eric, I mean, what what can you say about Eric Watts? He's he's kind of a bumbling mess. I mean,
2: we know oh, that. I, I have to say one thing. He is n- not as... Skinny as I remember. I remember him being a lot skinnier. Right, yeah. And he's, he seemed to be more kind of, I guess, bigger or chunkier than I remember. Yeah, yet. I I think
0: look-wise, he doesn't look that out of place, right? Like, I mean, you could see him in the ring with these guys. It also struck me that, facially, he looks a little
2: bit like Mike Rotunda. Mm. So you, see that? you automatically yeah. became a fan? Like a, like a young Mike Rotunda. Like an yeah. 80, 84 era. Um. So that, that that was that. But
0: he's horrible. Yeah, he, in the early going, he clumsily goes through a few moves. Uh, I I'm, Arn Anderson when he comes into the ring, like you talk about somebody that dictates the pace and is like a master of the profession. Yeah. Like the way he comes in the ring and like gets that reaction by really doing nothing but not engaging was just awesome. Uh, Sasaki gets worked over for a really be- Brief bit Hits a power slam Um Now when Watts got the hot tag in I'm not saying it was Amazing But I did think it was Adequate and he did have one move where he hangs on as he does an Irish Whip and does a quick, like, Fireman's Carry or Death Valley Driver move. Yeah. That yeah, I, th- I-, I, th- I thought that looked good. And then the forearm <laughs> actually looked good, too. It's
2: funny that you said that, because I wrote in my notes, Jack Briscoe is not.
0: <laughs> oh, really? I, th- I thought that was actually kind of a cool variation of a move.
2: Uh, I just thought it was a bot. I mean, maybe. I just thought it was just a poorly executed if I am a Well,
0: maybe. But so, so he ends up winning with STF, eating taps out. Um, well, now, I, I did think, though, the pop was not terrible for that. Uh, the, the crowd... Uh crowd got a decent reaction and I don't know if you saw this but I mean, I mean of course uh, Michael Hayes is losing his shit at ringside. He's in a blue suit for this show by the way yeah. and, as, and as soon as the team loses there's like these two kind of chubby kids that run up and start pointing their finger and giving Hayes the business that he lost. I thought that was hilarious. It's worth watching back because Hayes just plays it up and is losing his
2: mind and these kids are laughing and pointing at him. Hayes was in, like, full-on, like, 1983-3 with his mode there. <laughs> yeah. You see him, like, doing the hair and...
0: Well, I, th- I think he was, uh... I mean, he just see Jimmy Jam being put out the pasture, so maybe he was, like, nervous, so he revved up the performance.
2: One thing I did like about this match that you didn't mention was uh, in the very early going was Bob Eaton working as a kind of bully veteran. And mm-hmm. he was, he, like, just in the first couple of minutes, he was... Asserting his dominance over Eric Watts, I, right. I enjoyed that part of this match. But I mean, Meltzer with three quarters of a star. Where, where did you go on it?
0: I, I went a star and a half. I was a little. That was exact. That was exact. More generous,
2: but not too much. Ex- exactly my rating. There you go. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you think Eric Watts could have ever made it? I mean, is nah. he, I, I'll ask you this question: Is he more awkward than Greg Garnier?
0: Uh, I I think Ganya's better, um, pretty easily. I guess I don't think. But like, like
2: we, but we never saw Greg Ganya in his like first month as a worker, did we?
0: Yeah, I, I mean that is true. But I mean I don't. I guess I don't think like um. I don't think Watts is as bad as maybe like Lance, Bon, Eric, right? Um, or Mike. Mike Von Eric, he's bad. Chris Von Eric, he was, you know, shouldn't have been in the ring. He was so undersized. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, he he's not good. Uh,
2: I, I watched a match with uh, David Sammartino earlier.
0: Yeah, now there's another one.
2: Yeah. <sighs> I'd probably take Eric Watts over him. Yeah, D-
0: David Sammartino is pretty dreadful, too, so. Well,
2: well uh let's uh move on then um not a lot to say about them because now we are with Johnny B bad um and i i, I should just mention i'm um because in the absence of my um notes i'm going off uh, our old friend matt petticord's review and he has absolutely hated the show so far <laughs> he, he's given like he gave the opener a star and the second match crap didn't even give it a rating Dud, basically. So, he's really not enjoying himself. Um Johnny B. Bad is back, and he's with Teddy Long. Um And uh, this is confusing too, because I thought Teddy Long was as much, was a interviewer, but now he's back with Bad. just. Yeah, for this I guess match.
0: he's uh, back with Bad. Yeah,
2: he's he's the second for this match, maybe.
0: Who, who the hell knows? Yeah, he's like Bad's corner man, but
2: well, your guess uh,
0: is as good as mine with all this.
2: They cut a promo about how, you know, Bad has got boxing experience and he's still a bad man, etc. Um, Johnny B. Bad seems to have lost his luster a little bit. Like, I felt he seemed like he was going somewhere and then, like, the wind was taking out of his sails a bit. Do you well, feel yeah,
0: that? I mean, he came in with a pretty controversial type character. Um, and then he was doing the little Richard tribute. Um, I I think bad is a face while it's fun with the with the bad blaster and the the kisses and all this. And uh that's that's kinda of fun and hokey. It's it's also kinda of weird that in one hand he's like this, you know, happy go lucky guy and then on the other it's um, you know, they try to present him as a badass boxer. It's, it's one of those things where, like, Hacksaw-Jib Duggan matches, they never clicked in WWF. Yeah. Because, cause, you know, in one sentence, you, you have him chanting USA and ho and being, you know, essentially a, a bumbling, like, idiot in some ways. And then on the other, it's like, oh, well, this guy's actually a great brawler or a bruiser. Well, maybe, but... Why, well, then why is he so happy? You know, happy? Not yet. It just—it doesn't seem to work. So that's kind I, of a bad. I,
2: I wonder if it also caps where you can go on the card—a gimmick like this as well. You know, it, it might say, "Well, you can never make it above the mid card." Say,
0: oh yeah, this, this this type of gimmicks like Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man. I mean, that's that's where he's at.
2: After the commercial break, um, we see Raven. Yeah, not. Uh, DDP and Vinny Vegas. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so so basically, like this is Scotty Flamingo, right. and he's gearing up for his boxing match. And holy, I mean, even though I don't have my notes, oh my god, <laughs> what was Vinny Vegas's promo? This <laughs> this this
0: could be one of the worst promos on a major show. Um, I, I don't was know. He, was he trying to
2: do like a Joe Prescian? Yeah, like a Joe, I mean, he's like he
0: a... got this like accent that I couldn't quite pinpoint. It was this, kind
2: of like a casino, like a gangster casino. Yeah, in I mean, he, he was
0: or trying or... to pull up, throw up the gangster thing. You forgot to mention, but there's a guy that's trying, they, they, you know, they think, they're trying to get the viewer to think it's Don King is right. is down yeah. there, like, prepping Flamingo up, where all you can see is his hair sticking up yeah. in the back. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is wrestle crap all the way, sir. Um, it was so bad. So, yeah, Vegas has this weird accent. He stumbles over his words. He apologizes. It's, it's uh... Do
2: you know, I reckon Kevin Nash's wrestle crap reel might be the, like... If you were to have, like, the best WrestleCrap reel ever, probably it's him. Because, <laughs> it like, he was Oz. Yeah, he's
0: you got, got this Oz, and... you got this. Well, I mean, he's on the other side. You know, like, I always remember, like, uh, Sid saying that he's half the man of YouTube. You know, like, saying yeah. that. And uh, it cuts to Nash, like, laughing in the ring. <laughs> so that's oh. the... <laughs> was the low
2: light. Like, some of the. Awful late stuff, you know, the 2000 era, like the 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 TNA. Yeah,
0: that's what I was going to say. I mean, even just like moments that maybe nobody ever remembers, but I do remember one time in TNA, like when uh, Samoa Joe and Nash were uh, feuding. I can't, like, the context of the promo was Nash was like, oh, yeah, well, I know you're never going to come into the ring and face me and then immediately Samoa Joe just like comes right into the ring <laughs> and then Nash just sort of has a look on his face like well alright
1: <laughs> well,
0: like I was wrong on that one
2: <laughs> I, I tell you where else would be on the reel as well didn't he come out doing Triple H versus Sting yeah. <laughs> I mean just a nether in a long string of yep, lowlights
0: Hit the, the match, I mean, it's, you know, it sucks that he hurts his knee, but, like, the match where he completely breaks his knee when he gets tagged in, his knee, yeah, yeah it's just... <laughs> but this up there. I mean, I don't
2: think, think this, this promo is one as much. I couldn't believe... I mean, I think this, as we've talked about, I think this is a little bit underseen, this card. Yeah. I don't, I don't hear people talk about it much or, like... You know, I guess not a lot of note happens here. Uh, But this promo, if you haven't seen it, you have to track it down.
0: This is is one to seek out on the network.
2: Go go on the network, fast forward to Vinny Vegas cuts a bloody awful promo, and watch that. (laughs) So. Because it's both the accent, the stuff he's saying, and the fact that he stumbles as well. It's yeah, just like... yeah and,
0: then, and then he says, like, he's excited or something. Like, he knows he knows it's terrible, and he's, you know, there's just nothing to do. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know how Flamenco like, kept face, because, I mean, even beyond that, like, God knows who they had uh, impersonate Don King, but... So he's looking at this guy that's supposed to be Don King, and he's listening to this horrendous promo. It's just a train wreck. Well,
2: well, one thing I will say is that those three guys, DDP, Flamingo, and Nash, you know, I do associate them with being three of the smarter guys. So I bet you they had a good laugh that night between them, like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I see them as being more intelligent than the average wrestler.
0: Yeah, yeah. They all have uh, been claimed to have uh, wrestling minds by one yeah. or another. So yeah.
2: Well, anyway, let's get to this boxing match now. Um, one thing I didn't read out from the Meltzers earlier was Meltzer's rant on worked boxing matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he thinks that they're always awful. Yeah. Uh, is this true of this one?
0: Well... I, I'm interested to see what you think about this because uh, yesterday um, we released the newest uh, PTBN's excellent WWE adventure. And in that, there was an Ivan Pudski versus Jesse Ventura arm wrestling contest.
2: Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, uh, that, you know, that's. I, I kind of equated this boxing match to this where, the, yeah, this is not main event level stuff. But for a middle of the card, a feud between two guys that you necessarily don't want to bury, but they don't have to protect. I thought this was a lot of fun, actually. I may be the only one, but I, I enjoyed this a good bit. So the starts out where uh, you know Flamingo gets in a couple of modest shots, and then Bad really tees off on him. I thought some of the shots looked pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. For a work boxing match, um it's kind of tough with the gloves that usually requires an awkward shots that there was there was a couple of those there, but not that bad um and so uh flamingo is saved by the bell in the first round like he he's knocked out right as the first round ends, and in a funny moment d d p drags his body to the corner uh that was a nice visual. In between the first and the second round, we see DDP filling his glove up with water, uh, which I thought was a fun spot. And then the knockout blow that uh, Flamingo ends up giving to Bad really looked good. I mean, it made a huge sound. Bad sells it great. Flamingo's like basically uh, holding himself up on the ropes. And he ends up winning and has to be carried out. They immediately like get him out of the ring and carry him to the back.
2: Now, now Chad, if if I put glo- like water into my boxing glove and punched you with it, would it actually enhance yeah. the punch?
0: So this actually would significantly help. And there's been case I, I can't remember a case with water right offhand, but. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a pretty famous fight between, uh, Margarito and Cotto where it turned out Margarito was disqualified because it was discovered, uh, they put some kind of, like, hardened plaster on his gloves, hmm. uh, to make it hardened, and, uh, so it added weight to the gloves in between the rounds, so, uh. Wow. This this would uh, actually significantly help his case.
2: Well, I also thought this was a lot of fun, Chad. I agree, <laughs> um, and I should also mention that uh, Putski versus Ventura arm wrestling match is a masterpiece of psychology. It is of, of crowd control and psychology. Um, did you did you not think so?
0: Yeah, oh, I enjoyed that too. I, I thought, as I say in the article, like. These are two people that, I, I mean honestly, the, the thought of Putski versus Ventura in the ring having a wrestling match, maybe two of the worst ten wrestlers that you know I've seen a lot of in history. Yep. Um, But but the way they worked that, I thought really like extenuated their strengths, and I kind of thought that here, like I thought if they had a wrestling match, it wouldn't have been near as fun as what we got here with the boxing
2: match. I, I I basically agree with everything that you said. I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun and really well executed, actually. And I thought it actually played... This is probably, the weird as it sounds, the best Flamingo has looked. Yeah. Um, just because it played to his strengths as a kind of sticky worker. And a bad look good throwing some of those punches. Like, he's clearly got the footwork down. and Right. He can do it, you know? Yeah, and I, don't, um, I
0: don't think it hurt him, really, to... Uh lose and I, I, I thought it was great and i like the celebration too so, so as as terrible as flamingo's posse looked in the uh, promo <laughs> i thought they looked pretty cool here kind of running to the back after they uh cheated a victory out of the uh, contest
2: well, one one thing i do wonder about is if diamond dallas page was still using the uh good <laughs> stick at this point <laughs> we haven't okay.
0: heard it in a while
2: as he dropped that, well, I mean, he's, Vinny Vegas has been doing the talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, they uh, we we're setting up for Stargate now, and it's going to be Battle Bowl again. Ugh. And they show like clips from last year's Battle Bowl, yeah. so we see like Sting and Abby and various other shenanigans going on. Um, do you think that was a good idea to remind us of last year's Battle no, Bowl? No, to... and
0: I don't think it was a good idea to bring it back
2: either. <laughs> well, you know. Well, if you are going to bring it back, do you, I mean, let's why, say... Why
0: not on a clash, though? I, I still don't understand why they thought Starcade had to be the gimmick show.
2: They kind of just bury Starcade every year by making it...
0: Yeah, like, cul- culminate like, your feuds there. Don't make it the, you know, the new flavor gimmick that you're going for.
2: Yep. Um, so anyway, and, and then Jesse and Missy Hyatt actually draw the first two names of this year's Starcade Battle Bowl which actually is a good idea so you get one at least one match to look forward to but then when the match is Cactus Jack and Johnny B. Bad against Dan Spivey and Van Hammer
0: right it's kind of (laughs)
2: that's not going to that's not going to draw a single buy no I mean or Maybe ten buys, right. um, you know, from the Campbell household. Maybe I don't know, young, young six-year-old Chad or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, and there's a lot of uh, advertising of this Slam Jam album yes. as well. Do you have that?
0: I don't, but I I love the uh, a lot of the uh, songs <laughs> off of it. I thought it was pretty
2: fun. One of the rap numbers didn't sound too bad, actually. Like the one of the I didn't note down what it was, but it sounded quite, sounded quite good. Yeah. Like for a wrestling rap, it sounded quite actually, pretty, legit. Um, so we go from this now to the Ghetto. dan. what was it called? The Ghetto Bat Match or something? (laughs) I don't
0: know. Um,
2: which is Cactus Jack, uh, Tony Atlas, and the Barbarian versus Ron Simmons. And an unknown partner. So, uh, basically, Ron Simmons' partner was meant to be this Robbie Walker character, but he's been injured. Uh, JR and Ventura don't know who he is. No. Um. So, what did you make of this match?
0: Yeah, so uh, Scorpio comes just kind of flying out. Um, they they just decided to call him Simmons' partner. Yes. Which was kind of funny. I I thought he looked pretty good. Well, he looked good in the first part of the sequence with Cactus. He does miss a moonsault, or they had kind of an awkward moonsault dropkick exchange, which, eh, I mean, okay, you can, I guess, uh, peg that up to their young and... Uh, hadn't worked with each other before this time. Um, here's one thing I thought was interesting, and I think this certainly plays into the fact that uh, Simmons was a lame duck, is he's the face in peril here. Yeah. And now I understand that um, you want to make Scorpio look good in his debut, but th- this is somebody where they literally don't know his name and your world champion is the one that plays face in peril. So so I find that very interesting and odd. Um, Atlas in this match, I mean, he doesn't do much of nothing. Um, so I, I, I didn't think he was atrocious in that role and just not doing anything.
2: One thing I was upset about, Chad, was his uh, choice of legwear. Uh, what was it I, mean,
0: country, I think this was straight out of like the Colonel Mustafa 1991 collection
2: kind of, kind of like a pair of joggers basically it was just not not very good and it, particularly upsetting to me because of course Tony Atlas back in the early 80s had the perfect V shape you know the little skimpy uh, yellow ones yeah. that he used to wear and he's, they've been replaced with these awful baggy ones so right. yeah poor tights Tony Atlas that's my analysis uh, but you know don't you think Simmons had an excuse because it was three on one to like, a degree
0: but it's like why was uh, you know why was I guess I don't know why he was in that position and not Scorpio I, I mean I understand what they were trying to do but it's it, I, I just found it kind of odd
2: yeah okay I mean well Atlas does the job here and we see the 450 splash and you know we get a lot of flash out of Scorpio in six minutes um I mean he was over yeah like
0: yeah I mean yeah I mean when they do when he does get the hot tag it looks really good um uh he hits the 450 for the win I thought that looked great like um and then we learn his name afterwards where Jesse does an interview. Uh, so, so, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was.
2: Yeah, I mean, they gave him the rub. They put him with the champ. They had him win the match. They had him pin Tony Atlas, who for some fans in Macon, maybe they remember him from a few years ago. Um, kind of a metaphorical passing of the torch in a way. Right. Um, you know, like a, an effective job of getting Scorpio over. Um, although, I have to say, I didn't really think much of him in the match. Um, yes, a lot of flash, but he seemed a little bit botchy, I have to say. Did he not? Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean that's one of those things where, again, it's like, how much are you willing to excuse? Because that one moonsault was pretty blank. I mean, it was blank. That was a missed spot. And this is Scorpio and... Um, Foley, who, uh, I mean, it's like, how much do you want (laughs) to criticize the guys for one spot in their debut? I I can see that being construed as nitpicky of us, but (sighs) it didn't look good, and it sort of made me think, yeah, I mean, the 450 looked amazing, and he did some other stuff that looked uh, good, but...
2: But no, it, that wasn't the only spot you Like that wasn't the only spot that looked a bit out of position or a bit kind of and I'm just saying that if we're going to rag on Eric Watts for basically similar stuff then Scorpio didn't look mind blowing to me here apart from the 450 splash which he did absolutely nail right you know I'm just saying that like and I can see I mean uh, you know pedicord has written in his notes here nobody in America had ever seen such a move Um, which I guess is true. I wonder what Meltzer went on this uh, uh, match. Let me
0: see. I have it as a star and a quarter.
2: Star and a quarter. Yeah, he's stingy
0: all around. I want two stars. That may have been generous.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, I can go along with that. Two stars. I mean, I I actually respected the booking here, Um, which is one of those things that maybe we can... talk about now is that up until this point I have enjoyed a lot of the booking around this show Um, I like the positioning of like I thought this was a neat way of getting Scorpio over I thought the bad flamingo stuff was kind of well well booked for what it was and um, as we've talked about the Dangerously Medusa stuff which is coming up has been pretty well worked so one of the little thoughts I had is that like as much as we rag on Bill Watts and for this run and how out of touch he was and so on, I can actually see some building blocks of some pretty smart thinking around this time. Would you agree? With
0: yeah, that? I actually, I actually think we're starting to see Watts' kind of visual, visualization of what he wants the promotion to be going forward uh, with this show.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you can see that like young guys, young new young guys are being put over. Veterans are doing the one like giving them the rub is you know, kind of makes sense. Anyway, um, next up now we get a special, uh, as I say that God, we get a video look on Tom Zink <laughs> and his new tag partner, Johnny gun. <laughs> oh God. What did you think of this?
0: Oh, this was uh, straight out of the 1980s. <laughs> Fabulous ones all over. I mean, those, I mean, so basically they're going into a store, um, it's insinuated I guess they're at least making out or getting to second base with these ladies that are wanting to uh, show them the suits and stuff so you see a montage of like the most early 1990 ties some of those ties were just hideous uh, and it, it is what it is I don't think this did any, any either of them any favors caps off with like the hot new tag team so I mean, yeah, I mean they're trying to present them as the new, I guess, dynamic dudes or whatever, and it's just going to fail spectacularly.
2: Blowjob baby faces. Yeah, I mean they're, they're like they just team. want them to ask. Horrible. And horrible. But I mean, basically, the subtext was: is girls, these guys are for you. Type <laughs> right. <day>. It's <laughs> right. like, God, come on.
0: Uh, <laughs> this this also is something to go back and watch on the network though if you have a couple of minutes.
2: <laughs> it it is actually it is like absolutely ridiculous. Also ridiculous. How the hell is Tom Zenk still hanging around? <laughs> getting new gimmicks and new pushes. Yeah. Oh, he survived like Jimmy Jam's gone, but Zenk still survives.
0: Yeah, Zenk's you where... your new uh Jimmy he, Jam.
2: When they were arguing about whether to give on two hundred and sixty grand and Zenk is still on the roster <laughs> being given a new push. Right. So Um okay, what about the Jesse Ventura strongest arm competition? Yeah, now this I
0: thought was uh, again showing why it's like booking. I thought this was actually kinda cool in that yeah. this is a worldwide exclusive Uh, deal, and I I think that's pretty fun, I I thought I I was impressed with this, and they show us kind of the matches that have happened so far, and Jesse seems moderately excited to talk about it, you know, he seems kind of pumped and they're giving him something that he can be you know, selfish about because who really gives a shit about the you know, arm wrestling tournament so fine um i i enjoyed this I, I thought it was a good way you know i mean worldwide is what it is but if a few people say hey let's see you know they're having that arm wrestling contest that they talked about i mean people can only be hyped for what they're promoting so if you're yeah. giving them something to I tell flash you on i
2: remember i remember being pumped for the jesse ventura arm wrestling competition as a kid right. i used to i i, I was a worldwide watcher of course uh, both this one and the one with Ice Train in, in it coming up. Yes.
0: that the. I mean, the heat seemed really good on the matches we saw. Like, yeah. they were cheering and getting into did, it.
2: Did you notice know arm put Barbarian over?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, as soon as he loses, he's just really clenching on the arm and selling it. Uh, just, just great stuff.
2: Stooging even yeah. in a heel yeah. versus heel oh, arm. arm wrestling contest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... So, we get one more promo from Paulie now, yeah um, and uh we're gonna get this match. It's Paulie dangerously with Michael Hayes taking on Medusa, okay, so Paulie comes out wearing kind of skate. Like, what's he wearing, John?
0: Well, it, it looks like... I don't know what to think. I mean, one the other thing you gotta remember, too, is Paul Lee wears his Yankee garb throughout yes. all this, the New York Yankee stuff. I mean, this is 1992. Uh, the, the Braves had another successful year. They were on TBS, America's team. They're in Georgia at center stage and at Macon for most of this angle, so... I mean, wearing the New York Yankee gear is just an extra, like, over the top. <laughs> they, they announced him as the psycho yuppie again uh, for, yeah. for this match. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting.
2: And then Medusa comes out wearing, like, a helmet or something. And um, basically, Paulie suckers Medusa with the phone immediately. Knocks her out. What happens Yeah, event? so
0: so we just see somebody, the like the camera you know cuts to somebody running into the ring in all black and headgear, and then we see them face ground face down on the floor, um, on the mat after Polly hits them with their phone. So so Pauly does a pretty hilariously uh, good dancing around, gloating type victory dance and then says he's going to go down to give Medusa a kiss. When he does that, he grabs her hair, and out comes the wig. And we realize it's Mike Thor, who was kind of, I guess, what what type of character? He was sort of like the Patsy throughout this angle, sort of the Louis yeah. Spicoli-type uh, yep. character for Jack Victory, that that kind of goon uh, throughout yep. this angle. So I guess Medusa used him to fool Polly. Medusa, the actual Medusa, comes running out. And this is where I thought JR was pretty good. Where uh, (laughs) Hayes is on the microphone, and as soon as he sees Medusa, he says, Oh, gotta go. (laughs) And and Ross is like, Yeah, you gotta go. (laughs) And and, then Paulie's still looking around, and uh, Ross is like, Oh, Paul. Medusa decks him.
2: Yeah, so what do you think of this? Uh, so once Medusa comes out what did you think of (laughs) this match I
1: mean
0: I I thought this match did pretty good and I mean it's a quote unquote time of a draw but I guess it was five minutes so so I thought that was pretty good in giving it enough time to make it feel satisfactory without it dragging out too long I thought it was right on the verge but didn't and again I'm impressed in that you know again we've seen a lot of camp stuff on this show between the boxing match and the uh, pillman stuff and i was impressed that this still felt fresh and uh energetic and didn't have a problem with it i enjoyed this as well
2: yeah um i really really dug the angle this whole storyline i thought it was really excellent and I really liked the, the, the kind of uh, the switch, the bait-and-switch that Medusa pulled. Yeah. I thought it was a really neat kind of bit of trickery to show. Um, but I have to say that when the match actually started getting going, I was disappointed by the actual execution of the five minutes itself. I thought that could have been better handled in a way. I don't know. It, like, something just wasn't happening about the... I didn't really buy Medusa chasing after him and stuff. Um, so, and, like, I, what, what would I compare it to? Like, Paulie versus Cornette. Yeah, example. well,
0: that. Yeah. I mean, that's like the goat of these types of matches.
2: And, and like, compared to that, or even, like, I don't know, some of, like, I don't know. What about,
0: like, like Patterson and Briscoe, the.
2: Pat, like, yeah, Patterson and Briscoe, or, like, I, I don't know. Harvey Whippleman versus Howard Finkel in a dress, whatever the hell it was. Um, Like, when I think of all those matches, I just thought that this was just kind of aimless for the five... Like, it was almost like they were just running down that clock. Yeah. Um, So I I just thought that the blow-off to the whole angle was disappointing compared to the excellence of all the stuff leading up to it. So that was my... Thought I,
0: I can I mean, see. I mean, I would say the weakest part was after Medusa drug him from the back. Like yeah, she basically yeah. carries him back into the ring. That was probably when it started to kind of wear out. And, like she, she took
2: his like she took his like pants. Yeah, off
0: from I from mean, him. she basically
2: uh, like emasculates
0: him. So <laughs> I, I guess that was a sufficient payoff for the. I,
2: I think it would have just been like but... I think. Why couldn't you just put her over one, two, three in the middle?
0: Yeah. I mean, she body-slammed him, so...
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I also gave it a minus a star. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if I can really give yeah, it Yeah, I don't
0: think it deserves a star ring. but I don't <laughs> think it deserves a minus. I mean, I don't... I, I guess I just, you know, I don't... I'm usually not one of those, hey, wrestling's fun, guys, let's watch or this wrestling card. It's a lot of fun, but... I mean, up to this yeah, point fun. in the show, I've been thoroughly entertained. I mean, the matches have been quick. And some of the segments have been excellent, I thought, actually.
2: No, no, I agree. It's been pretty well executed. And it it, it actually, like, made me think, as I said that, hey, maybe, you know, Bill Watts did do some decent stuff in his right. in his time. Uh, especially, like, in this late 92 period. Like, your mind goes straight to the, well, my mind goes straight to the Jake Snake bite and the awful Havoc card, but you don't think of this card at all. Um, anyway, we get a quick word from uh, Vader now with Tony Schiavone. Um, and um, basically, Vader really wants to be the King of Cable. Now, the one thing I remember from this promo, uh, Chad, is that didn't Vader say... That he's held more world titles than anyone else living <laughs> or dead.
0: Something and, to the of that.
2: Uh, Hardy Race is standing there. He must have been thinking <laughs> What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this so, wasn't bad I mean I guess they put Brock Vader in for the show. I don't know if they had dart matches, but yeah, I mean he wasn't on the show either. But yeah, it's not bad to at least keep him you know, keep him in the viewers' mind.
2: So now we get the King of Cable semifinals. Um, which seems like a much bigger deal than the world title, given that the world champion was buried in a three-on-two handicap match right. and saved by, so, you know, a guy nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> um, Rude also gets a little bit of a promo here. I seem to remember absolute tragedy, tragedy. He still hasn't got a moustache. Now,
0: yeah, and what, one thing I was going to ask you, Parv, do you when can you remember? The opening line of our podcast Do you know where you got that from? Because I think it was maybe from this match
2: Well, I'd like to have right now But,
0: I mean, you know, he says that But the way he said it here It sounded just like the opening of our podcast
2: Well, Chad um, I've been using recently uh, As the music The little rude remix uh, DJ Par bit I did Oh, boy Where there's lots and lots of different rudes Have you heard that? Like the lots of different. And unfortunately, promos. I have heard most of the DJ part. <laughs> <laughs> <style>. <laughs> and um, I think you're right. I think that this is the promo yeah. that I ultimately use. I originally on the I think on the very first show used the one from Super Bowl two. Ah. But actually, this is the better cut. This this was like a, a cleaner audio for that. Yeah. So nice. I I think you're right. Um, so, let's uh, get to it, shall we? What
0: did you make it? Yeah, I'm I'm interested in what you think about this match because I, uh, you know, so much is brought up about Rude's 1992, and I like this match, and I thought it was psychologically sound, a lot of back work, um, a lot of back and forth, and they, they had, this match goes to a draw and it goes to the judges. And I thought they did a good job. That's kind of a tough thing where, like, you know, I mean, Clash of the Champions won. They go to a draw, and then they go to the judges.
2: Oh, we, and we should have mentioned this. The judges are Larry Zabisco, Hiro Matsuta, and. Who was the other one?
0: Oh, I can't even remember now. I only remember Zabisco. Uh, Ole oh, Leander. Oh, holy That's right. He's the deciding judge. But um, S- senior referee. Right. Um. And you know, Clash 1, How any of the judges could give the match to Flair is, is just preposterous. Like, I mean, he was he was dominated for seventy five percent of the match. So I did think, like, in this match, they did a pretty good job, and I, I could see it going either way. You know, it kind of felt like if you watch USC, a t- close decision where either way you can say, like, you know, don't don't lead it don't leave it in the hands of the judges um so that was good but a lot of the match with the chin lock and the camel clutch I just thought it was a little long in the tooth um so as a result I kind of gave a <laughs> cop out rating that you may not like of two and three quarters
2: right well I'll tell you Matt Pettico really loved the match and gave it four stars and um uh, Meltzer liked it less and gave it two and a quarter. Yeah, this feels
0: like a device, pretty divisive match. Actually, uh, I Actually, have a star I, and a fourth for him for Meltzer. Was uh, that not?
2: Yeah, uh, no, two, 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 two and a quarter.
0: And I don't know if we can trust this website I've been using. So.
2: Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm using the actual. actual okay, cool. Yeah. So, um yeah, and. Um, well, basically it's a match of two halves, really. I really, really, really dug Sting's offensive sequence. The, the gourd buster, he did that, like, suplex where... It's like a front suplex where he basically just dropped him on his stomach. All of, like, that work on Rude's ribs and Rude's selling of all of that was all really good in the first half of the match. Probably one of the best offensive sequences Sting's had, ever. But then, when Rude takes over, like you said Chad, the, the match falls off a cliff for me. And, you know there was that thread recently on uh, PWO where people were talking about like most disappointing performances from great wrestlers type thing, and I was I was thinking well how many times has Rick Rude appeared on that list? Like Rude Jake, Rude Chono, Rude, um, I mean he's had a lot of stinkers in his career for somebody who we think of as a great wrestler would you agree yeah um I and I, I think some of the reasons for that were apparent in the second half of this match it's because he's perfectly content to sit in a chin lock or sit in the camel clutch right for long portions and just sit there and just sit there it's uh a little bit like he's not particularly great at building a heat sequence like like the rude awakening looks great and like I don't know, his selling of various different moves all look great, and his hip swivel looks great. But what else is what else has he got in his locker? Right, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. and he was. I mean, it, it, the steamboat matches certainly didn't drag. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that I, I was talking about that with Charles a little bit earlier before we started recording is. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't say Rude is not great in 1992 as a whole, and maybe it's just because of the last two shows. And again, this was not an awful match. I thought it was, you know, good. but the,
2: I, I give it three stars. Right, the, 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 I just...
0: the 92 Rude is held in such reverence, you know, like by most people that mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's out there, but I just can't think of like an 89 Flair match that I thought, he turned in a performance that was worse than the last two we've seen from Rude. Well,
2: it's all the moustache, isn't it? But you're right, I mean this. I mean, I, and I guess this is uh, why I got a bit irritated like a few months ago because people just weren't thinking properly about somebody like a Rick Rude. You just think, oh, well, well his 92, is so fantastic, but even if you dig into it, there are performances in the yeah. 92 that aren't that good and He's got so many other performances elsewhere in his career that are awful.
0: Um, I mean, we're vetting it out, and I wrote this on Twitter today that I want to vet it out more with the TV. But, like, going as of this point in time, and especially after watching this show, like, I'm not sure if I prefer Rude to even somebody like Ricky Steamboat in 92. Because the only disappointing Steamboat performance I can think of right offhand is the Clash 20 match versus Austin. And that was, you know, about seven or eight minutes. That was not uh the 25 minutes and 20 minutes. I mean, Rude has been given really good opportunities. We can see Sting be, uh, Sting usually is a pretty good litmus test type wrestler to, you know, if, if you're great, you can pull something great out of him. Um, you know, Flair's an exception, I, but I still think, like, even though Flair might... Like, I mean, I think Clash 1, I don't think it's five stars, but I think it's better in this match. Yeah, so, no, it's it's really. kind of a weird... We're, we're at a weird, I guess, crux with Root, because, yeah, I mean, I certainly think his 92 was great, and he does have the G1, which Steamboat wouldn't have, but towards the tail end here in the fall, I think once Steamboat hooks up with Douglas from, I guess... Uh, September on, I think uh, steamboats '92 is pretty superior to Roots.
2: There's also been other people who have had sneaky good '92s, like Barry Windham. I'm thinking, I mean, we're just about to talk about.
0: Yeah, '92 n- is one of those years where you look like worldwide. Man, it's it's tough competition because you got yeah. you got all the guys here. You got Masawa, Kawada, Jumbo's last great year up to mm-hmm. September uh it's it's a nasty year the women to
2: to- has a really good year right it's
0: it's a loaded year for standout performances but yeah i mean dustin windham as we'll talk about both of those guys had great years too just in wcw just in wcw i mean you got vader windham dustin uh steamboat austin not bad um Inconsistent, but okay. You know, not a bad year. on You know, very good either.
2: Maybe me, I I still stick flares ninety two in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people hold the Flair stuff in reverence. That's the era I'm kind of. I, I go back and forth on usually when I watch yeah. the matches. But
2: well, I mean, I just remember that I was being brought up as a knock against him. I mean, like, holy shit! If if any of these guys had a year like that in WF, everybody would talk about it forever. It's just because, you know... Let's not talk about Flair, he's coming back soon, but... (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I I,
0: I, I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, (laughs) it's, it's just one of those things where I don't want to feel like I'm dogging Rude's 92, but after going through these super shows and we'll watch the TV, but as of this moment, I, I think some people would put Rude's 92 as like one of the five or ten best years any wrestler's ever had and I'm not at that level with it like I'm not even positive I'd vote him wrestler of the year right now so
2: it's it's really just built on two matches of the steamboat isn't it let's be fair
0: I'd, I'd say that in the the G1
2: versus Chona and, and the G1 right so three matches yeah. okay um, yeah I'm kind of with you uh, Chad I mean it's a weird thing because I absolutely love Rick Rude Um, but like I as I've got older I've seen his flaws more and more Um, and it's not, I mean I always used to push the line that he was awful up until about 88 and 89 and then he got great for a while and then he got injured and went that's not quite true, some of those problems with him persist into this period as well um, and it's mainly just the Chinlock City uh, that we're talking about, really.
0: Yeah, which, uh, I, I mean, this again, this match was psychologically sound. It was just, I mean, it just was moving slow. Like, I was definitely ch- putting my, you know, cursor over the time thing to see how much longer we had.
2: I, I I honestly thought they were the pro- one of the real problems with this match is that it had a hot opening mm-hmm. but a really anticlimactic finish. Yeah. I, they didn't. There was no excitement in that finish at all. So
0: yeah, once I think you could see the clock coming down, it was pretty obvious where they were headed.
2: Okay, so let's get into the I guess the main event right. uh, weirdly, um, and it's a tag match, um, and it's a match for the unification of the WCW-NWA world tag belt. Um, So all that tournament that we had to sit through was a massive waste of time. Right. (laughs) And it's a babyface versus babyface battle with Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham taking on Dustin Rhodes' former partner, Ricky Steamboat, and Shane Douglas. So... This had some interesting dynamics this match yes. had. Why don't we talk about them? What did you make of this? Yeah, match? there's
0: a there's a lot going on here actually. Um yeah, it starts out with Douglas and Dustin and I thought that was fine, but then you get the uh I I I love the sequence that Wyndham and Steamboat have right after that with yeah. the tempers kinda of flaring up a little bit. And them going to the outside and having to be separate. I mean, I thought that was just fantastic. And it really set the kind of tone for what would happen in the rest of the match. Um, And and then the match settles down. I thought it gave a very logical kind of progression where Douglas is essentially the whipping boy. um, Takes the brunt of the punishment throughout the match. And then you get, uh, as we go to the end, I thought that, I thought the action was really well. I, I think once Wyndham and Rhodes are on top, they do a really good job. But the, the ending, I really loved the nuanced work that happened in the ending that leads to the, uh, I guess, turn by Wyndham where Rhodes essentially thinks he's being too aggressive, going too far. Wyndham's like, you know, we're here to win. Um, we can be, I guess, buddies outside, but in the ring, yeah. where we're we're our number one priority is to win the match, um, yep. and so that that results in a turn and ends up costing them the belts here because they're sort of frustratingly uh, kind of arguing with each other, and Douglas ends up getting the pin, which I thought was kind of surprising with the belly uh, belly to belly. <laughs> Yeah. So I actually really loved this match. I thought it was great from a storyline perspective, and uh, I I enjoyed the action, too. I went four stars on it. I gave it a pretty big rating, but I I just thought it was excellent storytelling. Everybody acted logically. Everybody had a role here um, that they played well. I thought we, again, get some good nuance from... um, Steamboat, I mean, I, I don't think we're seeing hands-slapping, happy-go-lucky Steamboat. He showed some fire here and a lot of sympathy when he was getting beat up that worked well. Um, and then I, one thing I love about heel turns is I do think they need to be justified. So like Owen Hart, I can see you know his side of that argument and why he thought he was justified in kicking Brett. Uh, and here i saw that as well i mean I, I can see barry's point of view here so so from that standpoint it worked and Wyndham ends up coming out looking like a monster i mean i guess we can just say like at the end ventura does an interview with the new champions Wyndham comes in absolutely paced steamboat with a chair yeah. Uh, it, it looked awesome just an awesome like locker room attack and this was after uh, he beat up Dustin in the ring after the match
2: but Melt has actually got an interesting little note about that chair shot he says Steamboat deserves credit a lot of credit for not subconsciously tensing waiting for the chair shot right. which made the shot seem more of a total shock yeah. to those watching he, just, he just
0: came out of the, I mean he just came into the screen and just waylaid it uh,
1: I,
2: I wanna say that's one of the best looking chair shots I've yeah. ever seen.
0: Yeah, this was, I mean it really, it really this was maybe one of the shots. best like sneak attacks I've seen. I mean I thought this was yeah. excellently shot and just graphic, really. Yeah.
1: I mean it it, it, like it made yeah. me
0: look like you know, like I I don't I don't know if I guess Vader was the one they were going to give the belt to, but I mean it's almost like uh, I mean, they do give Wyndham the N W A, but man... I mean, it, it, he feels like the top heel, like, leaving this show, actually,
2: to me. Well, I mean, if you if you think about it, they'd lost Jake to drugs. Right. Um, you know, Tony Atlas is not going to pull up any trees. No. Orndorff isn't really going to be top, top heel in 1992-3 for you. So I think they did a fantastic job of creating Wyndham as a big heel out of nowhere here. All right. And um, so for the execution of the angle, I thought it was really good. The one thing I will say um, is that I did think that Dustin seemed like a bit of a just a pussy, basically. Yeah, I can I can see that, but I, I mean, imagine imagine if it was Roman Reigns, you'd be hating it. <laughs> I don't know about that.
0: I I uh, I, I I can defend Dustin's point. Of, I I can see how he could probably look the worst out of all these guys, but I think he was put in a pretty tough position, but. Um, I, I can see it, but I thought he played it well enough to where, like, it, it took Wyndham being so aggressive and violent and Rhodes, you know, kind of not talking reason into him
2: that it worked for me. Wyndham did, was really aggressive yeah. during the match, and it was refreshing to see him work, like, because he's such a great offensive wrestler as well. You know, we got to see and obviously great seller in Steamboat so we got to see some cool cool stuff there um one little wrinkle of this that I liked is that we there are four different guys in this match and you know wrestling is seldom nuanced I would say very seldom not you know it's very seldom subtle but here we got four different people with four different takeaways from this match
0: right
2: and I I can't remember a time where you see that where you've got You know, Dustin, who's distraught, but has got mixed emotions because he didn't want to, like, basically go against his friend. Steamboat, who's won the belt, but he's got mixed emotions because he didn't want to, you know, because he's got that deal with Dustin. Um, Then young Shane Douglas, who's never won a title before and is absolutely... It's like he's won the World Series or something. You know, he's absolutely over the moon. And then Barry Windham, who's done the heel turn. I just thought that was quite a neat... Thing like, how many times can you remember where you get guys with different takeaways from the same match?
0: Yeah, yeah, different kind of, yeah, different like paths of life were all converging on this one match and different philosophies. Um, yeah. it was really yeah. interesting and nuanced. I thought it was very layered,
2: yeah. Uh, rare in wrestling, so yeah, I gave it four stars, uh, as well. Um, so that's it. That's the end of the uh, card. Uh, we we made it in two hours. Now
0: what did uh, now what did um, Meltzer give that? Did you?
2: See? Oh, two and a half stars. Yeah, I
0: mean, I, I don't understand that.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was booking. He was challenging the booking there because he he said to the live audience, it seemed like Dustin Rhodes was in the wrong, and yeah, I could see that. All, but all, all of this sort of stuff. So I guess. and also he's penalized the match because he said technically this was a good match, but the cr- the fact the crowd didn't care made it come across as boring until the last three minutes. It feels
0: like he's so much more forgiving now of stuff like that.
2: Yeah, well, maybe it's because he's got different expectations of what crowds are like. Right. You know? So let's do, let's do the end of the show awards then, Chad. Yeah. Um, so the match of the night, I think, is a no-brainer. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, yeah, may have been for
2: me. I mean, it's the it's the, the tag that we've just sure. talked about. Uh, MVP is a more interesting question.
0: Yes, uh, I thought there was a good many candidates for this. Um, down to two. I don't, man. I want to give co MVPs. I, I don't come on. know which one to go to. Oh, Come on, you give Johnny such a break in Titans to.
2: Oh come on! He's I mean, picking do... the
0: timekeeper or somebody in the crowd. I, sure, mean... I
2: mean, yeah, but you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't keep a spreadsheet of the titles. Oh,
0: okay, uh, I, I, I will go with Barry Windham. Um Yeah, I, I think the main event really hinged on him performing his role well, and uh, he performed it really well. Looked completely yeah. awesome.
2: I want to say, Chad, that this is one of the best Barry Windham's Looked in all of the time that we've seen him on the show yeah. um apart from a match that you didn't even watch which was <laughs> back on that superstation one i did with brian oh i thought ago. you were
0: going to say the wrong uh anderson match that you
2: were watching. oh no well that was pretty good too but <laughs> 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 but no i mean i'm talking about the the flare match the oh
0: yeah on the, that uh, the, the, town uh, yeah
2: yeah, I mean that's a good performance too. But I, I would actually say that in terms of Wyndham looking like a star and standing out, this is as like as impressive as he's been. And interesting that he's doing it on TV, not on pay per view as per usual. So, but I guess a clash is a is a super card sort of. Um, so yes, uh, Billy Graham. Well, I, I
0: just want to mention too. My other contender for uh, uh, was uh, Paulie. I thought he was great, but you know the, yeah. the match did dwindle. So I guess that's why. Yeah. Uh, Billy Graham. Hmm. Watts was bad. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go uh, with uh, Eric Watts.
2: Eric Watts. Yeah.
0: Maybe I want to go with Z Man, but I, I just
2: I, I, I'm thinking of giving it to Vinnie Vegas.
0: Uh, yeah, he he was. I mean that that promo was bad, but uh, he actually kind of redeemed himself in my eyes with his uh, work actually in the match. So.
2: Would it be hateful to give it to, to Gold Scorpio? <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it's got to be Eric yeah. Watts, isn't it?
0: Eric Watts is probably the worst uh, in-ring performer here, including Paulie and Medusa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so where are we going next? Uh, What's the next? Uh, Our next show is
0: Starcade, so hopefully we we'll get well, that out in a, another few weeks.
2: All the fun of battle Ball.
0: yeah that's that's a weird card first it was in atlanta i didn't go but it's in atlanta has battle bowl it has a a a world title match has the king of cable finals It's just kind of a weird match a really weird show overall
1: yeah
2: hold on how is who's competing for the world title Uh, isn't it doc i'm pretty sure it's williams yeah oh christ poor ron simmons yeah. <laughs> okay man they put that on Starcase. yeah i remember now yeah. okay all right well join us then
1: fans for all of us here at wcw center
0: stage for cowboy bill watts and the american dream dusty roads i'm jim ross saying good night
1: everybody